Hey, let's pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you for the truth of that last song that, um, that it is not about what we've done. It's just the character and the nature of who you are, that you are love. And that your presence here with us is not just about salvation, although it is that. It is about you dwelling here with us right now, this incredible grace that you've bestowed on us to be present with us, despite our sin, despite our shortcomings. And so, Father, we, all we really can do is just give you praise for what you've done. And so, Father, help us to do that tonight. Reveal to us more and more and more your love and just the things, your provisions over our lives that we can just lift up in gratitude to you. Father, help that to be embedded in the DNA of our church, that we just praise you and give thanks to you because your name is great and you continue to do great things. Father, we love you a lot. In Jesus' name, amen. Kids, you are dismissed. Have a wonderful time. Well, how we doing? Everybody feeling good? Nice meal? Everything? Good. I am, I don't know about you guys, but this fall back has really kind of messed me up this week. Like last night, it was like 8 o'clock, and I said, I'm ready for bed. Got up this morning about an hour early, couldn't figure it out, but it's really gotten me this time. Um, Hey, I'd love to just spend some time tonight talking through Uh, making disciples and church planning and how these things are hand in hand Um, at Grace Meadows. It is our desire, one of our values, or or one of our missions. One of our three things on our mission statement, nailed it. Guys, it's smooth, wasn't it? Um, Is to love God, love people, and to make disciples. Uh, And we think one uh, one of the ways to do that is to send and share authority and plant churches. So we're going to talk through that a little bit here tonight. Um, if you have your Bibles, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says this. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So put yourself in the disciples' shoes in this moment, right? I mean, Jesus comes along and they, they were students. We talked about you know, a couple of weeks, uh, a couple months ago about how like, you had to be the best of the best to follow a teacher around in that time frame. Yet Jesus changes the whole game. He picks people that nobody else picked and he says, hey, follow me which means to drop everything you're doing and come and learn my ways, imitate me, and then one day you yourself will become a great teacher as well. That's what it meant to be a disciple of somebody. 
Well, think about how demoralized the disciples must have been that that Jesus did go to the cross. They didn't understand why he went to the cross. They felt like at that point he was their hope, he was their life, and now he's given up his life. So now it's really as though he never called to follow them in the first follow him in the first place because now they're going to go back to the same things that they were doing before. But we know that's not the end of the story, that Jesus uh, does defeat death, and they see the resurrected Jesus, and he, he comes to them and he says, hey guys, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and this thing is going to continue on through you. In fact, you are going to be great teachers. You're going to teach many people my ways. And this is the same invitation that's given to us here tonight. The fact that we were all dead in our sins and we have, uh, through the resurrection of Jesus, found new life and now we get to be his witnesses all over the world. And that's good news here tonight. So, in fact, this is what the disciples would do. They, uh, Peter would go to Samaria and Rome, and uh, James would go, uh, where did James go? East somewhere, and Thomas would go east as well, and they would just spread this thing all over the world. And then Paul did something that I thought just is a really good blueprint for us moving forward. He had all authority really as an apostle because if you were an apostle you were somebody who was just revered at that time because you saw the resurrected Jesus so Paul could have done everything in the church he could have said I'm going to do this this way I'm going to set all the leaders in place I'm going to do all these things but what he did was he shared authority he shared and he sent authority out so he had people like Timothy Uh, Epaphras, Titus, and he said, hey, uh, I'm going to invest in you, in your life, and then I'm going to send you out. And I think this is a great blueprint for us, that we've explicitly been told by Jesus in the Great Commission to make disciples, and then uh, in Ephesians 4, to equip the saints for good works, and then the blueprint that Paul leaves for us is to plant churches. Now, we're not explicitly told in the Gospels to plant churches. I want to be clear on that. But if it's good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me too, right? So our mentality is to make disciples and ultimately plant churches. Uh, now let's flash, fa- uh, flash forward to today, modern America church. It looks a little bit different than I think the early church did in a lot of ways. The early church was about making disciples, equipping people, and sending them out. And I think in the modern church, things look a little bit different. Um, David, if you'll throw up that first circle slide. Morgan did this for me. It seems pretty basic, but I couldn't figure it out. Um, So essentially, this is how the church operates in America in a lot of ways. And I'm just generalizing here, okay? It's that... You have the Sunday morning or church events, and you hope to pull the world into those environments. So you, you, know, you hand out flyers, hey, we're doing this thing and all that, and a lot of it is 
good. Don't hear me wrong. I mean, it works this way. I've seen time and time again people come to these events and really commit their life to Jesus. It's a really good thing. Um, and then if they, you know, really start to be a part of this Sunday morning environment and stuff, the next thing that they'll do is start to come on Wednesday night. You know, they become a, a part of the core group of people, right, that are consistent, like, you know, that are bought into the church, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then one of the things I love about Grace Meadows is that we have thriving life groups. That's the third one. That I think for the next 20, 30 years foreseeable future, I think the churches that are going to thrive are the ones who have really good life groups. I think it's, it's such a picture of the early church, of breaking bread in homes together and being the church and bearing burdens and doing all those things. And, but I think this is where a lot of the churches um, in America stop. I think there's one more circle that we got to look at, and that is one-on-one discipleship. I think um, that there has been probably um, a deficit for a long time in one-on-one discipleship. And so we're going to talk through that tonight a little bit about what that looks like. Because the thing is, it, it goes this way, but it can also go out the other way. In fact, that's Morgan and I's story, is that when we first got married, <clears throat> we were not really interested in doing the whole traditional church thing. In fact, I think we were probably not interested in transformation at all. I think we were very much in our infancy stage of faith. But there was a guy named John Oakley who came along, and, and I coached a um, baseball team with him. He just asked me to coach, coach a team with him um, and spent some time with him, got lunch, all that kind of stuff, and really just and he embraced this one-on-one discipleship mentality. Um, he didn't push me to, you know, get involved and stuff like that. He did invite me, which is a good thing to do, like at his church, but didn't push. And so we spent time together. And then he actually had us get together with uh, people like the Mizells and other couples and stuff. And before we knew it, a life group had formed. And before Morgan and I knew it, we were a part of a church, which we didn't think would happen. Right? And, but God blessed that time. So I, I want to just show you all how it can work outside in, but it can also work inside out. And so we're going to talk through uh, what does it look like to have one on one discipleship. There's a few things I'd love to go through here with you tonight. Uh, number one, very simply, it starts with a commitment to prayer for individuals. So if there are people in your life that you care about, maybe they're far away from Jesus, maybe they're um, you know, in that infancy stage of their faith, that sort of thing, pick at least two or three people that you are just devoted to praying for, at least, routinely, committed routinely. Psalm 34, 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. Psalm 5, 3 says, In the morning, O Lord, You hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. So I think we can be a people who devote ourselves to prayer. Um, Second thing is creating margin in our calendars to spend some time with people. Um, 
A, a wise person once told me that direction, not intention, determines your destination. The idea being, I think there's a lot of things we intend to do. It's like, oh, I've been meaning to have dinner with that person. And then, you know, a year goes by and you're like, oh, I never did, right? So the idea of just getting stuff on our schedule. Uh, in Titus 2, Paul encourages Titus to have the men train the men in the ways of Jesus and the women train the younger women in the ways of Jesus. And I think the only way we can do that is to spend time with people. Uh, the next one is to wait on the Holy Spirit. This is one of my biggest downfalls through the years. I just want to, you know, lead them to Jesus right there, you know, before I even know them. But we've got to wait on the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, hey, you got this great uh, commission that I'm sending you out for and stuff, but first you must wait on the Holy Spirit. Uh, and one of the ways to do that is the next thing, it is to uh, look for humility in people. That if there's not a humility, um, what did Jesus do with the rich young ruler? He, he walked away. <laughs> and that's hard for me, too. I'm like, what do you mean you walked away? Like, if you, sure, if you said the right things, maybe he would, you know, eventually follow you, right? If you just get those words just right, you know, you could do that, right? That's how I feel. I feel like I could do that. Um, but the Holy Spirit's got to be at work, and there's got to be a humility to receive the Holy Spirit. It is, in Luke 19, it is Zacchaeus being willing to climb up a tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus. And what does Jesus do with that? He, sa- he looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, I've got to eat at your house today. Why? Because he knew that he was humble and he was open and he was ready to receive what Jesus had to give him. And I'm not saying, you know, abandon relationships when there's not humility. Uh, continue to be active in people's, uh, in people's lives. But all I'm saying is don't push them to go somewhere that they're not ready to go. So looking for humility. And if somebody's going through um, a, a painful time, a time of transition, a time of trauma, I mean, there's a lot of bad news going on in their life and they may be looking for some good news, or maybe even the good news. So we're wanting to look for situations where people are ready to receive the gospel. Uh, The next one is to ask about their experiences with Jesus. Now, one thing that's important to note here is that usually when I ask somebody about like their God story or something like that, what's your experience in the faith, most of the time, I get church in that response. It's, oh, I've been in church, you know, I was in church when I was younger, and I know I need to get back, and that sort of thing. But I think for us to sort of separate out Jesus' experience and church experience is really, really important, because I think a lot of people lump those in. But church is a phenomenal thing, but it's only a byproduct of our relationship with Jesus that places us into a community of believers. So we first focus on Jesus. We want to know what is this person's experience with Jesus. Um, Dallas Willard, who y'all are going to get tired of me quoting. Um, I just, I love that man. He, um, he died in, I think, 2013. He was a philosophy professor in Southern California. And um, he's a follower of Jesus, which kind of felt like it didn't fit a little bit, 
you know, like philosophy in Southern California, and you're a Christian. Um, and um, so anyway, people would ask him, like college students would come and ask him, um, you know, Dr. Willard, why, like you talk about all these things and philosophy and stuff, but you're a follower of Jesus. Like, why, why are you a follower of Jesus? And he would just reply, um, did you have anybody else in mind? And the, the, the point being, to him, Jesus was everything. I mean, where, the idea where, you know, in John 6 where uh, he, Jesus asks Peter when everybody's leaving and he says, do you want to go too? And Peter says, where else are we going to go? Because Jesus is everything. Jesus is our new life. We talked on Sunday about our life is not our life anymore. Our life is hidden with who? With Christ. Christ is everything. So when we ask people about their experience with Jesus, we want to be sure to to separate out the other stuff and get to Jesus. Because I think if we're focused on Jesus, we can really, really get somewhere. Um, And then the last thing I had in this section is invite people into your regular rhythms of life. Uh, 1 Peter 4, um, Peter says, be hospitable to one another, and then I love the last detail, without grumbling. Like, just in case you guys were like, oh, this person's got to come over to my house, don't grumble. Um, I think that this is where uh, life groups really come into play, that we go, come into circles, that we care about you know, people in our lives, but we do events and that sort of things. Like, we can get people doing life together and inviting people over for dinner and letting them become part of what we do. Now, the next question I have is, how can we incorporate disciple-making into what we are already doing as an organization? Um, don't you love it when a speaker just asks himself questions and he already has the answer prepared, but makes it sound like he's just going to come up with it? Um, I think... I think we can really capitalize, going back to the circles, if you don't mind to pull that last one up, David. Uh, Going back to the circles, I think we can leverage our life groups in discipleship by sharing the names of of those couple of people that you're committed to praying for. And then being committed to asking about those people. Man, hey, how are are they doing? How can I come alongside of you in, in prayer for this person? I mean, if we're if we're a praying people, um, you know, I heard one time I said, it's not about having a prayer life, it's about having a praying life. The idea of just let's be an army of people who just pray. And so who can I, who can I pray for in your life? So when you meet as a life group, maybe talking through those two names and then, uh, I don't know, if, uh, if Patrick's going to the gym or something and he's invested in this guy and he wants me to, you know, go hang out with them, the three of us go hang out, with, like, let's get that going. You go to the gym, Patrick? No, okay, well, <laughs> wherever, wherever it is that you go, yeah, so. But yeah, leverage that, like, let's let people come into our lives and have those, you know, three people getting together or whatever and letting those paths cross and maybe they be, just become a part of what we do. Um, I think we can leverage Wednesday nights to say, uh, well, to do some 
periodic training like that. We did something like this over the summer and just revisiting disciple-making time at, uh, throughout you know, the, the, the year, revisiting this. But then also I think we can leverage Wednesday night to say, hey, you, know, you may be somebody who's had a tough church experience and stuff, but I want you to know like, we get together as a family on Wednesday night. Like, let me get your meal tonight. I'll pay for you. You come. We'll have dinner together, and you'll experience something that feels a little bit different. You'll see people praying together, raising their hand and saying, hey, can you pray for this person? Can you do that? You'll get to be a part of something else. We can use Wednesday night for that. And then Sunday morning, I think there are so many people who come through those doors on a Sunday morning, and we have no idea what their stories are. And so our greeters do a wonderful job of greeting people at the door, but like when they get to their seats, can we just go up and introduce ourselves and say, uh, my, my big opener is, uh, hey, I don't know you, my name's Dallas. That's, that's it. So, hey, I haven't met you yet. You know, my name's so-and-so. Get to know them. Because here's the thing, you don't know what's going on in their life. We, there was a lady uh, when I was at Northridge a few years back, she came to church and I, I met her, and she told me that was the first time in 15 years she's come to church. And the reason she hadn't come in 15 years is because she experienced literal physical abuse in the church setting. And that was, it took her 15 years to work up the courage to walk through those doors. And thankfully, several people went up and met her and loved on her and she became a part of the culture and all that. But imagine if after all that trauma she went through, working up the courage to come one day, imagine if nobody engaged her, right? I think for me, I have a temptation sometimes to just assume everybody's probably just doing fine, you know. But we have no idea the people who come through those doors as guests Wednesday, or Sunday morning what they might be going through. So let's, let's go introduce ourselves to them. Now, you might be asking, how does disciple-making apply to church planning? Um, as this church grows, and man, I hope it continues to grow and grow and grow, I think so does our responsibility to be intentional about sharing and sending authority. Uh, we, want to operate, we want people to operate in their giftedness to grow into the roles that maybe God has for them. So we don't think that at 150 people that the same amount of people should be doing the same things at 300 people. We want to, to go ahead and send and share authority and let people operate in their giftedness. So I want us to be just a people that, that pray for that next church plant. I'm not saying it's going to be tomorrow, uh, but let's continue to be diligent about praying for the time to come. Pray for leaders to develop. Pray for God to just do a work in this community of disciple-making so that we can send more people out. Um, I think Grace Meadows was founded on this church planting model, and I don't think God has changed that vision so I think there's a couple things that we can do moving forward. Number one is very simply lean into disciple-making now to live life on mission, to embrace this great commission that he has given to us. And then two is to recognize our own 
gifts that God has given us so that we can love people around us and step into the purpose and calling that God has for us. Uh, as we close this part of the evening, I would love to just do this. Uh, I'd love for us to practice. You're going to hear more and more from me about like the spiritual practices. Um, I think I'd love for us to just take a, a moment, a minute or two, and I want you to just think of uh, a couple people close to you that you'd like to spend more time with. Uh, your neighbors, family members, co-workers, anything in that realm. I want you to just think about a couple people and then spend a silent moment praying for them and then we will uh, corporately pray together to close this period. Luke 137 says this, For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you say in Matthew 28, you say go, but before that you say all authority has been given to you, that you're sharing this authority with us, and then you say that you will always be with us in the process. And so, Father, I pray that you will create in us hearts that uh, desire to just go to work with you because we know we're not doing this alone. We know that you are here with us. And so, Father, I pray that you will continue to help us be remade as disciples of you, that that embrace this call to be the great teachers that you have called us into. And, and whether it's one person in our whole life or it's a thousand, Father, I pray that you will just liberate us from, um, from anything that gets in the way of doing that. Father, I pray for guidance, clarity. Pray for next steps. I pray that you will have your hand all over everything that we do here. I pray that there will be nothing done that's out of step with your spirit. That you say in Galatians 5, you, you say that you've given us the spirit of God that can lead us, help us to walk in step with him as he goes. Father, I pray, I pray that you will be gracious to us in allowing us to be a part of seeing great moves 
in this community, in this culture. Father, I pray that you'll use us, work through us. Father, give us a confidence in your name in the process. And Father, I pray there will be no guilt, there will be no shame, but only just encouragement that you provide as we just go and we love people the way that that you love us. Father, help us not to invent anything, but just to reciprocate the love that you've bestowed on us. Father, we thank you for who you are, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.